Welcome back to the Informal Podcast. This is week two in a row for the first time in six months. I mean, golly, I'm so excited to be back with my co-host, of course, Sam Lewis. Sam, how are you doing? Doing fantastic. It's like it's like riding a bike. You never forget. You know, you take you take the majority of a year off, and you just hop right back on there, and you keep going. This is great. I feel like I'm at home. Not to you know, not because I am at home, but. Figuratively, I was going to say, I might, figuratively, that might be why you feel that way. I feel like I'm at home. <laughs> so Sam wanted to record this pod on Saturday night, is, isn't that right? Oh yeah, Saturday, late Saturday afternoon. I needed to get some thoughts into the into the uh, the podcast space, and you would not let me out of my best interest. I think it's probably a good thing we didn't talk after the Tennessee Auburn game. But I've cooled off a little bit, but I've still got takes. I mean, to be honest, that may have been our most electric pod we've ever had. Um, but against my better judgment, probably, we did push it off until tonight. Uh, but hopefully we can we can come at it just as hot. So, of course, we will talk Tennessee-Auburn and what happened in that game on Saturday, how Bruce Pearl came and took Sam's lunch money in Auburn on Saturday. Can't wait to get to that. Also talk some more college basketball as well, plus – the most popular topic from last week's show, which was a Premier League, which just shocks me, but I am very happy to dive back into this because, of course, you got the race for the Champions League, which the top four teams from the Premier League get into the Champions League, which I'm not really sure what that means, but I know it's a real thing. You and sound it exists. so knowledgeable about it, though. I mean, just let it let it all out there with confidence. So, like, what's the premier like you think about the word premier like premier means best right premierly premier means top echelon right i mean it's sure. like the the upper division right right so then you got the champions league right like so what's the league under premier is it like you know middle class league and then peasant league i mean how how does this deal work i mean do we want to get into this cuz i can blow your mind if you want me to cuz let's you're... wait let's wait okay, let's wait you're not going to okay, believe we're, we're... what the league below the premier league's called you won't believe it but yeah we'll get to it later <laughs> <laughs> we'll go to, we'll get there we'll get there um, then we're going to dive into the mlb because we were going to talk about it last week but truth is we ran an hour and 40 minutes so something had to get to boot but we're going to dive into the changes they've made in the Atlantic lead to experiment with some stuff that might be introduced uh, maybe sometime um, into my sometime baseball in the vague and then future. Major League Baseball. Um, we'll, we'll see about that. Uh, maybe some spring training. I don't know. We'll see where the pod takes us. Um, maybe get into some free agency where the Titans made two huge signings today. Save with it. Clemson stand out. Save um, okay. it. Okay. Save we'll, it. We'll get there. Takes we'll get on there. that too. Oh man. Um, maybe talk a little NBA. Um, I've got to rant about something, and then the the segment that everybody is tuning in for stole the hearts and minds of America. Conspiracy corner, right? What do we want to call this? Conspiracy closet. <laughs> I like um, that. The closet. Step into the closet with Austin. Come to our closet. Um, where we for will once and for all decide is the Yeti real? Sam, um, I'm going to come in hot. So I hope you're prepared for this. I am prepared. Because the Yeti, I've got a. Th- this is the. Go look, ahead. Look, don't give anything away, but I've got a sneaking suspicion that this might be our biggest disagreement to date on the podcast. So I'm really excited for this. I'm looking forward to it. 
we'll get there. We'll probably fit that in at the end. So if you want to skip either, ahead to that point, just skip ahead on this podcast to like, I don't know, an hour and 53 minutes. And then that's, that's just, when we'll start talking about the Yeti. Just, <laughs> just tell us you listen to the whole thing. <laughs> just don't burst our bubble about that. All right. Um, I know you're just bursting at the seams. So let's go ahead and get into this game on Saturday where Tennessee went up and played Bruce Pearl and Auburn. Um, Auburn's a good team. Auburn's a really good team, to be honest. Uh, when you look at you know their strengths, they shoot three, right? They're athletic. They get off shots. They play fast. Um, and Tennessee, you know, honestly, I, I didn't think they played bad, um, but they did lose. So I'm not sure how this is going to impact them moving forward. If they win the SEC tournament, they'll probably still be a one seed. Um, if you know Kentucky wins, they'll probably be the one seed. Um, Maybe same with LSU. I don't know. There's a lot of other stuff going on with LSU, which will probably derail their season, but who knows? <laughs> um, that's for another another date and another time. I don't know. Um, I don't know. It might it might affect my analysis of this basketball game. <laughs> All right, go ahead. I'm just going to take the reins off and just give you the floor, um, and you come in hot about okay, this. Okay, so, so first of all, I was really mad after we lost this game. Not because we lost, because like you said, Auburn's a really good team. They shoot a lot of threes. Bruce Pearl's a good coach. That's a tough place to play. What made me so mad was that I was so confident we were gonna Tennessee was gonna win by fifteen. I mean, the whole game. It was close the whole game, but I just Tennessee is such a better team than Auburn. It's not close. One through five, every position, Tennessee has a better player. Tennessee has a better coach. Sorry, Bruce Pearl. I think Rick Barnes is better than you. And they just shot eight million threes and we turned the ball over like fifteen times and you lose. So the farther away I get from the game, the less mad I am about the game. What I will say is it's a real shame that the SEC is going to have to vacate the title from LSU in, I don't know, like six weeks when Will Wade goes to prison. That's a real shame. You hate to see that. Um, I feel bad for the SEC that they're going to have to vacate their champion. Um, It's also a real shame that all of Auburn's wins from this year are going to get vacated because Bruce Pearl's a big fat cheater and he always has been. Um, so you have a barbecues that, that we a, haven't heard about? It's a real shame. That's all I could think of when Bruce Pearl grabs the mic after the game and starts doing his, like, cutting his promo for his WWE video or whatever he was doing at the end of that <laughs> game. I just think it's a real shame that all these wins are going to get taken away. Let, let the record show that one of his assistants is currently in prison as part of the FBI investigation. Let's just get that out there. Um, but, yeah, no, I, I mean, Shout out to that guy. I don't know. Fall guy, if I've ever seen one. I wonder what he's getting paid. You know, good for him. Good for him. Um, but I, I don't think the game itself really has that much of an impact because either way, if Tennessee wins the SEC tournament, they're a one seed. And if they would have won Saturday and lost in the SEC tournament, they still would have been a, you know not a one seed. So I don't think it makes that big a difference. Um, it doesn't really change the way I view the team that much. I still think they're really good. And if they catch a team in the tournament that's going to hit 18 threes or whatever Auburn hit, they're probably going to lose. And that's just the way it is. Um, but, yeah, my, my biggest takeaway is that the SEC champion is going to have to vacate their title, like, before the tournament's even over, which is shocking to me. And, yeah, SEC let that happen. They've got crooked referees on the books, it's proven, and they wouldn't have someone go in there and make sure LSU lost to Vandy. I mean, if you're gonna if you're gonna fix games, at least have your own self interest at heart, right? What are they doing? At this point, even if the rest were trying to fix the games, could Vanderbilt win? I mean, that's fair. That's fair. You could say that the uh, the fix was in on that game, and Vandy still lost by twenty, and I would believe you. 
I kind of do believe you. Yeah. Um, so, looking at wait, let me get this straight. I haven't I haven't sort of looked that too closely the final standings, but if LSU were to vacate their title, right? Who who, who finished second? Was it Tennessee or was it Kentucky? I think Kentucky finished second, but I don't know what the tiebreaker was because Kentucky and Tennessee split. So then I think it goes to record against the number four team, which ended up being Auburn, maybe. And Kentucky beat Auburn and Tennessee lost Auburn. I don't know. I know Tennessee's the three seed um, in the SEC tournament this weekend, and Kentucky's the two seed. I don't know why, but that's the way it is. Okay, well, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. make I mean, any I, difference because Tennessee and Kentucky it, are going to have to play on Saturday either way, so it doesn't matter. But that's that's the way the bracket shakes out. Right, so Tennessee, I guess, will get a bye. Is that right? Double bye. Um, double bye. The, the double bye. Yeah, top four so, teams get a double bye, which seems, so they'll play seems the, weird, but yeah. They'll play as the three. They'll play the six or whoever comes out there. Um, and then they'll play Kentucky, and, and Auburn will have to play LSU. Um, so basically, Tennessee's got to win three games to win the tournament. Right. Again, you know, really in the grand scheme of things, I know all these guys want to win the SEC tournament and be SEC champions, but, you know, in, in the grand scheme of things of looking at a national championship, like, you know, does it really matter? Well, where the tournament does matter is for a team like Belmont, right? My alma mater played the John Morants Fighting on John Saturday Morantz. night. Fighting John Morantz, John Morantz on Saturday night. They put up a valiant effort. So let me set the scene a little bit. This OVC tournament was set in Evansville, Indiana, which is two hours from Murray State. And five hours, I think. No, maybe not that far. Three hours, I guess, from Belmont. Um, either way, remarkably closer, I think to Murray State than it is to Belmont. So Belmont's the one because they beat Murray State back when conference play started. So they're the one. Murray State's the two. They have identical records, identical conference records. So Belmont plays Austin P on, uh, I guess it's Friday night. Uh, pretty close game, but they end up beating them. Now, in that game, in the last three minutes, Belmont's starting center – who was a redshirt freshman, the freshman of the year in the OVC, also first team all OVC, goes in for a layup and comes down on his ankle and rolls it. Okay, he goes back into the tunnel and he runs a little bit, comes out. There's like two minutes left. They're up by like 15, so he's not going back in the game. But he's talking to Coach Bird and he's like, hey, let me back in the game, let me back in the game. But of course, Coach Bird's like, no, we need you for tomorrow, you're not going to play, right? So I thought, okay, he was hurt. It looked kind of bad. It looked like he came down his ankle pretty good, but he's probably still going to play. This guy averages like 17 and 10 or something. I mean, he he really – Belmont's such a big spacing offense, and, and they look at either getting off a layup or a three that he's huge in sort of the screen and roll game, screen and pick. Um, just a really big part of what they want to do on their offense because he's so skilled. Obviously – Dylan Windler is their biggest playmaker, but he makes sort of the, makes the car run, sort of speak. So, get to this game on Saturday night. Belmont's playing the John Morants, and he's not playing. Okay, so first, I mean that that's a huge loss for Belmont, huge loss. So Belmont gets into it, and 
they're getting off good shots, right? And they're making things really tough on John Morant. Um, but just stuff isn't falling. John, or Murray State does a good job keeping Dylan Windler, um, you know, in check a good amount. And the fans are 85% pro Murray State. It gets close towards the end of the game. Murray State ends up winning. So that's great. John Morant is really, really, really good watching him play. Top probably five be pick. good. He'll probably be good in the NBA. So here are my two complaints on this. Belmont is absolutely should deserve an at-large bid. Okay, they lost four games all year long that was not, um, you know, including this this conference championship game. So five games, right? They went, I think, two and one versus the quad ones um, in NCAA play. They went to UCLA and beat UCLA. I understand UCLA in the tournament team, but, I mean, that's a huge program to go across the country and beat. Win looked good at the um, time. They did. Absolutely. They did have a bad loss in Green Bay. Um, but they went and played Purdue, you know, who has finished second in the Big Ten. They lost by 10 at Purdue, which is respectable. So, I mean, really what you have to think about here is Belmont is a team that would probably be a 12 or a 13, and they could absolutely pull an upset, right? Sure. So, really, they're fighting like the number – you know, nine, the number 10 team out of these big power conferences. And it's like, man, if, if you went three games over 500 for your entire season and who cares if you, you know, may play for a bigger school, the odds of you coming out and winning these games is, is like, why do you, why do you, why does those, why do those teams deserve, you know, to be in the tournament ahead of Belmont? I get Belmont's, you know, strength of schedule. They're not playing the Kentuckys and Tennessees and Michigan States and Dukes of the world night in and night out. But they lost four games all year long. How do you not give a team like that a chance? You get more people tuning in to see that game because, you know, if there was a game in the NCAA tournament, of course, you know, there's so many games those first couple days in the NCAA tournament. But – I mean, would you rather watch, I mean, I don't know, a, a, the number nine team out of the Big Ten play, or would you rather watch a sort a dynamic mid-major who can maybe pull an upset? I mean, like, it's a no-brainer for me. Like, I would rather watch Wofford play, you know, than, I don't know, can't think of a team right now, <laughs> you know, Maryland, Maryland yeah. you know, or whatever made the tournament. Like, um, but I don't know, that just may be me. What are your thoughts on that? Well, first, I would like to say that this is the most pro-Belmont speech we've ever had on the podcast. Um, it's 100% biased coming from you, and I love every single minute of it. Also, that being said, you're absolutely right. If Texas gets into the tournament at 16 and 15 over Belmont, I would be furious. If Indiana got in the tournament having lost, I think, 14 consecutive games, lost 14 games in a row at some point this season, and they're on the bubble. If they get in over Belmont, that would be ridiculous. I mean, NC State, Clemson, all these other just bogus trash mid-major teams that are going to get in as a 10 or an 11 and get waxed, it would be dumb. And Belmont should get in, and Lipscomb should get in, and you know, Wofford should get in if they lose their tournament. And 
but they're probably not going to. They're going to give it to Clemson and NC State and Texas and the big schools that have big fan bases that are going to watch it, which is fine. It's whatever. But as, listen to me, as a fan of a blue blood team like Tennessee, who's going to be a top one or two seed, I would much rather play Texas than Belmont. I'll just tell you, because if Tennessee plays Belmont, there is a, I don't know, a 25% chance that Belmont gets hot from three and makes like 15 or 16 threes and puts puts out Tennessee. And I don't want to see that. I'd rather see Shaka Smart's terrible Texas team who somehow backs into the tournament. I would rather see that. So you're 100% biased and you're speaking from a place of passion. And I love <laughs> it. And you're absolutely right. I don't right. doubt that. You're absolutely right. I don't doubt that. Um, I, I absolutely agree with that. Um, also, and before, by the way, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say Wofford is down by seven right now with 15 minutes yeah. left. So you like how I, I subtly dropped that in there, the Wofford reference? Yeah. Yeah, topical. Yeah, I know. So we were recording this Monday night. So if they were to lose, I mean, that's another team. Although if they were to lose, that, of course, puts an automatic bid in UNC Greensboro and Wofford would get in over Belmont. So that meant, I think you know, so of course, too. put Belmont but further behind a curve. Before but. we move off of college basketball, I remembered what I was so hot about on Saturday night that I had blocked out of my mind from the Tennessee-Auburn game. So All right. I don't know – I know you watched the game. I don't know if people listening to this watch the game. But with about two minutes left in the Tennessee-Auburn game, Tennessee's down by two points. Auburn has the ball, shoots a corner three, hits off the front of the rim, off the backboard, comes back down. It's still over the cylinder. Auburn, Auburn's guy jumps up, tips it in. Obvious basket interference. You can see it live. All of Tennessee's players immediately complain for basket interference. Don't get it. Not only do they not call it basket interference, they said that the Auburn player never touched the ball at all, and they give Auburn three points instead of zero points. Tennessee ends up losing the game by, it turned out to be like five points, but Tennessee's fouling at the end. That's a, a three-point swing in a game that directly determines your conference championship. And it's just another black eye on the SEC. Who's in, You can tell that the SEC doesn't care, excuse me, doesn't care about college basketball. Um, because they just continue to let ridiculous things like this happen. And it made me so mad on Saturday. And I blocked it out of my mind because you wouldn't let me record right when I was feeling it. So this has to come in 12 <laughs> minutes after we talked about the game. But it's on the podcast now. Let the record show the SEC is crooked and terrible and inept. Continue. Feel better? I mean, a little bit. <laughs> Honestly, not really, but a little bit. I, I I agree. I mean, you got to be able to look at that, right? That you got to. And yeah, and it happened at like two minutes and twelve seconds, so they couldn't review it, which is so stupid. Yeah, yeah that's. I mean, that that they should really extend that because I mean, two minutes in a college basketball game that that's so close to the end. You know, that's um, you know they they should they should push that up a little bit to where you should be able to look at these things because every little thing like that impacts right like if they took that away then Tennessee may have won that game well and right? the worst but, part of it was is they couldn't have reviewed it anyway because they said it wasn't basket interference they just called it a three pointer even though the guy clearly jumped in got his whole hand on the ball and basically tip slammed it they just gave Auburn three points out of nowhere I incensed I was incensed I'm still mad. But we're 20 minutes in, and we've talked about one thing, so we should probably, you know, get rolling. Well, let's yeah, let's move on before you crush your laptop. It's possible pure anger between the anger let's, of that let's... and GarageBand just not cooperating at all. My my laptop <laughs> might end up in the parking lot. We'll see. 
<laughs> That's because all those tabs are open. Um, so, so when you think about college basketball landscape, the biggest rivalry is Duke Carolina. Real quick, let's talk to Duke Carolina game. So Duke, of course, played without Zion, the best player in college basketball. And Duke is not good without Zion. They're just not. They almost lost to Wake Forest and North Carolina. It was close for a while, but they just drummed them there at the end. Colby White for North Carolina is really fun to watch. Um, he, I, I really like watching him play. Luke May, is a, he's a robot. Um, robot. Uh, he, he's, he's also fun to play. But the person I pay the most attention to when I watch Duke in North Carolina is a guy for Duke, Jack White, who stands in the corner and waits for the ball and jacks up a three and misses it every single time. Let's not bury this the guy, lead. This is a season-long thing for you. You've been you've been complaining about Jack White since like <laughs> Thanksgiving. Like I, I feel like Jack White's the Duke guy that comes in. And he plays two minutes, and he misses one three, and you take him out. Like I feel like that's kind of the player that he is. And he's like, like that should eight. be his should be his role on the team. But no, he plays like thirty five minutes a game, which makes no sense to me at all. This guy, every shot he takes looks like it's going to be nothing but net. Hits the rim and goes out. Every I don't know what kind of voodoo he's putting on the basketball. But nothing is falling for him. At one point, he missed like twenty-seven straight three-pointers, right? Like, and that's his thing. Like, he's shooting three-pointers three is it. the reason he's in the game. Like, that's the whole reason he plays, and he can't do it. Like, if if you're a catcher, right? Your whole job is to catch the ball. So if you miss twenty-seven consecutive pitches, at some point, you gotta say like, hey. We need a different guy, right? <laughs> maybe like, try out first um, base, or maybe the maybe not. <laughs> there's there's a position where you don't have to play the field at all, which you might need to explore. Um, but seriously, this guy. It, I, so at first, I, I I said this to you. At first, he seemed like the guy, like when we were, you know, playing at twelve years old in rec league where the guy would get the ball, an immediate panic would spread over his face, and he would either jack up a shot before a defender got there because he was afraid to get it stolen, or he would just turn around and completely gold the ball like he was going into the defensive line of a football team and get trapped, right? I mean, like, it was pure panic. That We all know that guy, right, That when you're playing basketball. At first, I thought he was that guy who was scared to death. But then I realized he's not. He's fully capable and fully willing to take the shot. He's just not good, which is – which are, it took me a long time to realize it's, this, but he's just not good at basketball. It's problematic if you're a three-point shooter on scholarship at Duke to shoot three-pointers and you haven't made a three-pointer in like six weeks. I think – I want to get in like Coach K's mind when he goes to recruit this kid because I'm assuming he just outsmarted himself. Like he saw – you know, like a six eight, like rangy, semi-athletic looking white guy who's like jacking up threes, and Coach K is like, "Oh, Duke guy, that's it, Duke guy right there, Christian Leitner, come on." Offers him the scholarship on the spot. Never actually saw him make a basket because he doesn't make baskets, and now he's inexplicably getting thirty five minutes a game. I don't understand it either. I appreciate your passion about Jack White being terrible. <laughs> Spread the word. People should talk about it more. He's awful. Why is he playing so much? The people like I. 
I honestly think like people are like, oh, Zion's not playing. Duke isn't with. Yeah, it's because Jack White's playing. <laughs> Even if Zion was playing, Jack White would still be playing, and that's an issue. I don't know why I've gotten so worked up about this, but I am. I am hot about this. I can't so wait for Duke to be a two seed in the tournament playing like Murray State in the second round, and I'm picking Duke to lose right now because Jack White's on the team. At some point, so in that Wake Forest game, he tried to give it up. I don't know if you remember that. Yeah, he tried hard. He, he, Duke had the ball with like three seconds left, and he was inbounding it. They were up by one, and he like just decided to step in bounds. Like you can't do that. Like (laughs) forgot he had to pass. Even I know that he forgot. He forgot that he had to pass in or dribble. Um, Tough. All right, tough look. Jack White. That's the Jack White segment of the pod. In case you were wondering what my thoughts were on Jack White, there they are. Not possible. All right, let's let's talk some Premier League. Um, As I'm exhausted, I need you to talk for a while. Um, All right, so the Premier League race, City and Liverpool are in the title race. So talk a little bit about that. Talk a little bit about what's going on, the race for fourth. Um, Yeah, four's yours. Okay, first of all, do we want? Do you want me to enlighten you as to what the second tier of football in, Eng- in England is called? <laughs> Absolutely. Okay, so the Premier League is the top flight. That's how you say it. It's the top flight. There are four divisions huh? of professional football in England, at least four you know, main divisions. So the Premier League is first. The second division is called the Championship, which is a complete misnomer, but whatever. And then... Wait, so the... the- the first one's called the Premier League. Premier League. Correct. Which is the top flight. Yes. Then the second one is the Championship. Yes. Which is not to be confused with the Champions League. Correct. You're getting there. Okay. Right. Well, you know, it's you know what? extremely confusing. You, well, it gets worse. Do you know what the third tier is called? The Premiership League? <laughs> League One. <laughs> <laughs> Which is the same as top flight. <laughs> Which you would think would be the top flight, but it's not. And the fourth division is League Two. So there you go. Now you know. You learned something today. It doesn't make any sense, so you're not going to remember it. But you learned something. <laughs> oh, man. The Champions League okay. is completely different. The Champions League has nothing to do with England. The Champions League is a European league where the champions of all the European leagues play a big tournament together, and they call it the Champions League, and it's fun. So talk a little bit about the Premier League now and sort of the standings and the race and all that. So we got called out for alleging that there was Premier League talk on last week's podcast when there was very little actual Premier League talk. We talked some FA Cup and, you know, some other stuff. But the actual Premier League talk, I have we have to do it this week. Um, so the Premier League is actually has a great title race this year. It's down between Manchester City, who has more money than the Yankees and the Red Sox put together, um, they're literally owned by the country of Saudi Arabia, which doesn't seem like it should be allowed, but it is. And they've got all the oil money in the world, and they buy all the good players. They're currently in first, and Liverpool is in second. And Liverpool was winning the entire season. They were at the top of the table until about two weeks ago, I think. Or it's, I'll go back a little farther. Four weeks ago, Liverpool had like a seven-point lead. They were playing Manchester City. So if they win, they go up by ten points because you get three points for a win. They lose that game. City cuts it to four points. Since then, City has retaken the lead. City is the defending champion. 
Um, a lot of people think they're the best club team in the world. That's where we're at. It is my personal belief. Um, I just think Liverpool's going to pull it out. I don't know why. I have no, I've got no dog in the hunt. I've got no, you know, advanced knowledge about this other than I like watching it. And Liverpool hasn't won a title in like 40 years. But I'm rooting for them because Manchester City has, they've, they've literally got all the oil money from the Middle East, which I don't understand how that happens. Could you imagine? Think about this. If you're a fan of a baseball team, we'll just call them the Mets. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work on my American sports analogies for the Premier League. So Manchester United is like the Yankees. They've been good forever. Very historic team. Manchester City is kind of like the Mets. They're in one of the bigger cities in the country, but they have never really had much going on. Imagine okay. that like one of the Middle Eastern countries' governments, or it's a business, but it's like owned by one of the princes of these countries. I don't know how the governments work over there comes in and buys the Mets and takes their payroll from like $150 million a year to like $500 million a year. So that's basically exactly what happened to Manchester City like eight <laughs> years ago. Uh, like that's, How long? That's, oh, okay, eight yeah, years that's ago. That's pretty much what happened. Uh, and they've started to win stuff now because that's, that's how that works. Um, and good for them, you know, I guess, as long as they don't get busted for cheating, which they might. Um, but I, I think everybody – it goes back to my college football analogy last week. Everybody's cheating. As long as you don't get caught, it's fine. Um, so they're definitely the favorites, I would think, but I'm, I'm going to pick Liverpool because I like being, um, you know, different. I don't know. And I'm rooting for Liverpool because I'm against Saudi Arabian, Russian, you know, Saudi Arabian oligarchs or oil moguls or whatever you call them. What do you think? Who do you think is going to win? I need your takes. So let me piece this together real quick. Yeah. Spit it back to me. Let me see how good I did. <laughs> so... Manchester City is owned by Saudi Arabia. It might right? be Qatar, but yeah, it's one of one of <laughs> one of the oil countries. Big difference. Yeah. Um, but okay, so they are currently in first place. They have seventy four points. One point ahead. Right. Yep. Liverpool. Right. Liverpool has seventy three points. How many games are left? Eight matches. Sorry. Oh my gosh. Eight, I'm so sorry. Eight matches. matches left in the Premier League top flight of English football. Okay, so there's eight matches left. There's 73 points. Manchester City, 74 points. Okay. These are so facts. it doesn't really matter. The, those are facts, right? Facts so only. So what do you get for winning the top flight league? Like a billion dollars. You get a billion dollars. I don't know if it's I a, doubt you that. You get a lot of money and... And you, it's a champ. You win the championship. It's not the championship like the second tier of English football. You win the championship like the Premier League championship. It's like winning. Well, it's like winning the Super Bowl. Like that's what every team wants to. Do. You want to win the league. Well, I'm personally not fond of the idea of getting giving Saudi Arabia a billion dollars. <laughs> so I'm gonna, I'm gonna prove that is reason enough for me not to root for Manchester City. We both know Liverpool. We both know a Manchester City fan who is pulling his hair out at this discussion right now. He's really mad about it, but continue. <laughs> well, if, please call in. Oh, um, he will. I will. He will. Um, tweet us at Informal US. Look it up. Follow us. So, Liverpool seems like a fine team, right? They're fine. Sure. Um, if they won like that. Sure, but. The winner of the Premier League this year oh, is going to be the Tottenham Hotspurs coming hot in the final eight matches of the season 
up from down 13 points Currently to top both Liverpool points. and Manchester City to take the crown and the billion dollars it's promised to them <laughs> into the Champions League. Man, it's going to be glorious. Mark it down. Put it in the books. Tottenham Hotspur, champion of the Premier League. <laughs> not the championship. This season. Not the, not the, not the champion of the championship, but the, or the Champions League, the champion of the so just the winners of the Premier League. For the record, Tottenham is currently in the Champions League, separate and apart from the Premier League, and they could very well win the Champions League. That would be different. They're down 13 points to Man City, 12 points to Liverpool. So for this to happen, with eight matches left, Manchester City and Liverpool would have to lose. Like I'm doing quick math off the top of my head, would have to lose like nine combined games. <laughs> and they've currently man the city has lost four times all year and Liverpool has lost once. So that's a bold call um by you. I don't think it's going to happen. I'm going to hit you with some actual analysis here. I'm going to give more reasons than just I'm rooting for Liverpool to win, you know, other than that I'm going to give more reasons why I think they will win. Liverpool has the best d- defense. Wow, informal, informal, informal not just a hot take Informal, podcast. I'm going to hit you with some analysis. They've got the best defense. You hear that defense, not defense. They have the best defense in the league. Virgil van Dijk is a monster at center back. He's incredible. And, the, I mean, you got it pulled up. Look at the, the goals allowed. 17 goals allowed in 30 matches. That's less than – I'm not a math guy. That's less than a goal per match. I mean, that's incredible defense. Playing great defense. Virgil van Dijk is fantastic. They've also got – I mean, to be honest, they've Liverpool has lost one game all year one long. Game one game out match. of 30. That's incredible. It's incredible. They, they, they've scored, they score a lot more runs than they give up, yeah, they which do. is great to see. Really good with runners in scoring position. They're fantastic. They've been the best team all year. Their, their front three of Sadio Mane, Roberto Firmino, and Mohamed Salah. Salah, Salah, Mo Salah, I don't know how you want to say it. He is arguably the best player in the league, was probably the best player in the league last year, at least the best goal scorer this side of Harry Kane of your Tottenham Hotspurs. I think they just have enough to get it done. I mean, they've got the best defense, defense, and they've got enough goal scoring to get it done. And that's there you go. That's my analysis. Tottenham's not going to win. Um, I'm sorry. I know they're your boys, but it's not going to happen. Liverpool are taking the cup. Do you want to talk about the top four? We can talk about sure. we can talk about my boy, my boy Ollie Gunner Solskjaer, if you want to Manchester United. There's yeah. been developments. Old Gunner, old Gunner. Let's talk about old Gunner. So they're sitting in fifth right now, as of just today. two points. As of today, two points. They played Arsenal this week and lost, dropping out of fourth to fifth. Right, so they're they're at fifty eight points right now. Chelsea is close behind. Chelsea's at fifty seven. Don't worry about Chelsea. They're not. Um, This is there a salary cap in this thing? Okay, so yes and no. It's kind of like. It seems like the further you go down the standings, the poorer these teams are. Okay. Well. We're in like I'm six I'm six foot three inches tall and we're in like eight and a half feet of water right now. So I'm like my head's above water, but I'm not standing up and in my Premier League knowledge. So there's no salary cap. You can spend whatever you want, but there's something called financial fair play, which I do not understand at all, other than the big teams all get financial fair play penalties like once every couple of years and they have like a transfer ban for like six months, and they can't buy any new players. And I don't know what that means, and I don't understand it, and I don't know why it happens. But no, there's no salary cap. But there is a huge drop-off between the best teams and the worst teams, and they call it the big six, which are the top six teams, Manchester City, Liverpool, Tottenham, Arsenal, Man United, and Chelsea. 
the champion almost always comes from those six because they're the six biggest teams. They have the most resources, the most history, everything else. Um, Leicester City won a couple of years ago, and it was like the biggest upset. They came from the championship, right? They were in the championship. They got promoted a couple years before, and then they got hot and won the whole thing, and it never happens. Um, it's like one of the one of the biggest upsets in sports history. It was. Is there a crazy. playoffs in this thing? No, no playoffs. Whoever has the most points at the end wins. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So I do know about the top six. All right, I get the top six. And it's a big deal if you come in seventh because everyone else has a lot less money than the top six. So it's basically like winning the league without winning the league is the long and short of it. But I don't. All right. So we should really should we talk about who's going to come, you know, in fifth or fourth, or should we well, go to talk? Should we talk about who's coming in seventh? No, we should talk about fourth and fifth. And you know why? I'm going to let you explain why we should talk about who's going to come in fourth or fifth. Is it because old gutters? In fifth right now? No, it's because whoever the top four gets to go to the Champions okay. League. I thought you right. knew yeah, that. I'm, Come on, man. I did know that. I, I stated that before. I, I thought you wanted to talk about it because of old Gunner, who's no. in fifth right now. So, obviously, you want to win the league. But really, what you want to do is come in the top four. Because the top four go to the Champions League. And if you win the Premier League in England, you get a billion dollars. And if you win the Champions League, you get $10 billion. <laughs> Is basically <laughs> that's my understanding of it. It's not correct, but you get what I'm saying. It's basically it's basically like if you win this, you win the division, right? And or you win the conference in football. Yeah. In, in NFL. You win the conference. Well, go, right? Like go back to my college football thing. Yeah. Winning the Premier League is like winning the SEC. Winning the Champions League would be kind of like winning the, the college football playoff. Sure. Or the gotcha. NFL playoffs. Yeah. Fair. Okay. So Manchester United right now, like we talked about, is in fifth place. Chelsea's in sixth. At the end of the year, after these eight matches, what is your top four? I think it's still going to be City, Liverpool, Tottenham, and Manchester United. So Arsenal is currently in fourth. They overtook United this weekend when they beat them 2-0 at home. But to provide a little context to that, During the week last week, Manchester United played a Champions League game against PSG, Paris Saint-Germain. Germain, I don't know how you say it. It's PSG. They're in Paris. They have a lot of good players. They so the way the Champions League games works is you play one game at home, one game on the road, and whoever has the most goals on aggregate wins. So United's down two nil. They lost two nil at home. They go to Paris, win three to one, win in like a huge upset, big comeback. Great game, whatever. This was on, I think, Tuesday or Wednesday. And they come back and have to play at Arsenal this weekend. A quick turnaround, tough spot. They lose. It's it's Solskjaer's first loss in the Premier League as Manchester United manager. I think that that's just a tough spot. They've got a, a large number of injuries. I mean, a bunch of guys hurt. I think they're going to get healthy. I think they're coming in fourth. Arsenal fifth, Chelsea sixth. That's my take. Who do you got? So, I think it's going to finish just how it is right now. Manchester City, Liverpool. Oh, it's Tottenham, ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Mostly because it has to happen for Old Gunner to get fired after this year. Okay, I've got, a, I've got another question for you. Like you said, you're, you're not totally above water here, but there's a lot of times where I see Premier League teams playing teams from other leagues. Sure. Like right now, like at this moment. Right. Like... So why does that happen, seeing that 
this isn't over, so you don't know who's in the Champions League. So the Champions League is happening right now, concurrently with the Premier League. And the teams in the, so the teams in the Champions League right now qualified last year. Okay. So the All top right. four last year are currently playing in the Champions League this year. So that's and those games are usually maybe always like during the middle of the week. So like United played Paris on Tuesday, I think, and then they'll come back home to England and play a Premier League game on the weekend. And that's how that works. So here's this makes no sense because that's like saying, you know, the the Indianapolis Colts made the playoffs last year, right? So they're automatically in this special league the next year. You know, like it's like this is not the same team. Like why does it matter? You know, like who knows what can happen from one year to the next? Why should it be, you know, why, why shouldn't it be just a deal where, okay, they're going to play Premier League from this time to this time and Champions League from this time to this time? Because, you know, that, because the, the regular soccer season, it's kind of like the NBA. It lasts all year long. So there's like a two-month <laughs> like two offseason, and the players want the, want the offseason off, so they have to play them at the same time. And the whole point is, well, at least for the big clubs, the whole point is to compete in the Champions League. So there's... I was watching another game this weekend. I think it might have been Bournemouth and somebody else, and a player that I didn't know because I, you know, we're we're surface knowledge here. He said that he wanted he wanted Bournemouth to sell him. I think it was Bournemouth. wanted He wanted to get sold to a team that was gonna play in the Champions League next year, because the Champions League is like the high, it's the highest level that you can play at with with your club team. That's the highest competition for a club team in the world. So that's where players want to play. So. For instance, if United or Chelsea or whoever to sneak into that fourth spot this year in the Premier League, qualify for next year's Champions League, then they would have incentive to go out and invest in their team over the summer, bring in new players, and they would be able to sell them on the fact that they're going to be in the Champions League next year. And just because you finish fourth in the league, in the Premier League, you might be able to go and win the Champions League the next year. And you can still, you know, lift the biggest trophy out there. And so... It is weird, but that's the way it works. Okay. All right. I understand. Okay. Let's move on and talk a little bit different soccer where you sent me this video. Oh, yeah. Okay? We definitely it, buried it was the, the lead on this first thing. This, yeah, this should I, have been the f- first thing we talked about, but yeah. Go ahead. This this is the first thing when I looked on our on our pre-show doc that, that you wanted me to look at. So set the scene real quick. You tell you tell the story since you sent this to me. Okay, so this takes place in a championship game, which to remind everyone, keep up. The championship is the second tier of English football. It's between Birmingham City and Aston Villa, I believe. Let me pull it up to make sure I got the teams right. But Aston Villa is also in Birmingham. So this is, you know, crosstown rivals. This is these are the two biggest rivals. They're playing their biggest rival. So I don't know the full backstory of the game, what's happening, but basically the ball goes out behind the goal for a corner kick. Everybody kind of drops their guard. They're resetting. They're about to go over for the corner. A fan runs out on the field, just runs out. And, like, we, you see this in American sports sometimes. Sometimes guys run out on the field. You know, sometimes they're streakers and they're naked. And sometimes they, you know, just want to be on the field. And they get tackled by the security guards and they go to prison. Well, this guy is feeling himself, 
and punches a dude in the back of the head. A player punches a player in the back of the head out of nowhere. Well, he wasn't looking. He's not looking. While the player was turned around. The back of the head comes out of nowhere, punches him right behind his right ear. I've never seen anything like it. I've never seen anything like it in American sports. This is like... This is like the most stereotypical European soccer thing I've ever seen. It's unbelievable. I don't know how... Like, is this a normal thing that happens in Europe? Is this... I don't know. I don't know how to process it. It's funny, but at the same time, it's terrifying. Yeah, I I think we were talking about this pre-show, and I think we sort of got to the root of how this happened, right? So, Birmingham City, they're in the championship. Yep. But who also is from Birmingham City? So, Aston Villa is from Birmingham, but also notably from Birmingham are the Peaky Blinders, Street Gang. The Peaky Blinder Street Gang. If you notice the hat that my man was wearing who ran on the field here, same hat as the Peaky Blinders wear. So let's, yeah. Let's, and based on, the sh- based on the show, that is absolutely something they would do. Well, and break it down frame by frame. The hat, I don't know how to describe it other than it's a Peaky Blinders hat. And if you've seen the show or you've seen the video, you know the hat we're talking about. And they've got it's got the weird pooch in the front that connects to the weird short yep. bill. And what do they have in between the weird <laughs> pooch and the weird short bill, Austin Coley? What do they have in there? You know, razor razor blade. blades. So what I'm saying is, if this guy's a Peaky Blinder, which I mean, why? I'm just circumstantial evidence. I think he has to be. I think we're lucky he didn't slice this guy's ear off. I think we're lucky he only got punched in the head. I'm not saying that he is, but I'm not saying that he isn't. <laughs> Just call him how I see him. Um, I think we cracked it. Okay. I think we cracked it. I think we, we cracked the code. That was not the conspiracy cons- conspiracy no, closet. That wasn't believe conspiracy it or not. closet. That's fact, folks. That's 89% fact. Exactly. I mean, yeah. It's more fact than fiction, maybe. <laughs> it might be more fact than fiction. Um, all right. Any more soccer that you want to talk? I mean, we're only 45 minutes in. I could go for another hour if you want me to. Can we talk about the Bundesliga? Right. Let's move on to the MLB, all right? Fair enough. MLB is going to experiment with some new rules in the Atlantic League this year. So they're going to have robo-ump called balls and strikes. They're going to have zero mound visits except for pitching changes and injury does that mean from a catcher too? I no, guess so. no pitching, um, no no mound visits by players or coaches. Okay, all right. Pitchers must face at least three batters or in an inning before it being changed. Okay, two infielders on either side of the base pre-pitch. So pretty much that's banning the shift in baseball. They're also going to move the mound back two feet. Right, so it'll be sixty-two feet two inch, six inches. And those will be the rules in the Atlantic League this year. So. I would say, for me as a baseball player, the biggest change if I was playing in this league would be moving the mound back two feet, obviously as a pitcher, but I think honestly for a hitter too. I mean, you think about, okay, you're going to ban the shift. Is that really going to change baseball that much? No. And plus, I mean, here's my take on banning the shift. Like, I don't understand why doing this is really an issue. Are they doing it for you know, the sake of time, because it really doesn't take that long to move. Most players are moving 
in between batters anyways, right. all the batters walking up to the plate. And it's like, why would you – would you ban – basketball teams from playing a zone because it works better against a certain That's team. That's what doesn't make it, sense it, to me it, with this whole thing is all of these all these rule changes are supposed to speed the game up or make it more entertaining to watch, except that one. That one is just like a bunch of old people are like, I don't like this newfangled shift thing. Play where you're supposed to play, you know, is what that feels like to me. So I don't, I, I'm with you. That one doesn't make sense. It doesn't fit with the rest of them. Yeah, it, I, I don't understand that one one bit. As far as a robo ump calling balls and strikes, listen, umpires make mistakes, right? I mean, it, it, it happens, right? Nobody's perfect. As far as having an umpire call balls and strikes, I don't know. Call me old-fashioned. I like there being a guy back there who has real feelings, real emotions, real feel, you know? Because I think sort of different spots in the game call for different outcomes, you know, from – for me, a 3-0 pitch is a lot more likely to be called a strike than, you know, well, it's an not, 0-2 pitch. That's not, your, that's not your feeling. That's fact. That's accurate. It's 3-0 pitches are more often called strikes than any other pitch, just like 0-2 pitches are less often called strikes than any other pitch. Uh, that's right, data exactly. that I did a research project on and figured that out. Or somebody no, did and I go. read it. One of the two. Okay, well... I've never read that. I just know that to be fact. It is a fact. Yes. That's just how that's just how it happens, right? Okay, so no mound visits, like that's fine. Like it, it's mound visits. A lot of times are for pitchers just to catch their breath, and you know, for sort of their beat. It's a timeout in basketball is basically what a mound visit is. You want to stop that? That's fine. I'm not running up and down the court. You know, I I understand you're trying to speed up play. Honestly, a mound visit most of the time speeds up the inning because I get the guys out sooner, you know? Right. So, I mean, um, but, you know, that's fine. Pitching to at least three batters or an end of an inning, okay? This I understand from the fact of bringing in a guy to face one hitter, right? Because it takes time. Manager goes out. Pulls the guy. Guy runs in from the bullpen. Or takes the bullpen card. Pitches. Or takes the bullpen card. Or takes, sorry, or very rarely takes in the bullpen Arizona card. Arizona only. Comes in, warms up those eight pitches, throws two pitches, gets the guy out. Manager comes out, calls to the bullpen. Bullpen guy comes in, throws eight pitches. That whole thing could take, gosh, I don't know, 10 minutes for the, those two events to occur. For one out with no base runners. Right. What there's there there's two things I'd like to say about this. Number one, that provides valuable commercial time for these TV contracts. Okay, every time a pitcher's pulled, you're going to get a commercial if you're watching on TV, and that allows more advertiser to be seen, which allows for more money to be made by the television companies, which allows for more money to be made by baseball. So I don't know why you would want to stop. Well, let that. me play devil's advocate because it does provide more time for ad revenue. But if you have so much ad revenue that people are turning the game off and there's less eyeballs watching your ad revenue, is it actually profitable? So why don't you – so the PGA Tour does this thing called playing through, okay? PGA Tour also does a terrible job with commercials. They, they play way too many commercials as well as a viewer, but they do this thing called playing through a lot of times, which means they'll show commercials, they'll sound on with the commercials, but – on half the screen, but on the other half, they're still showing golf, okay? 
why don't you do that? Why don't when, you know, the Dodgers bring in Kenley Jansen, why don't on one side of the screen, you have him running in, warming up, and you're showing his pitches. And, you know, the, the hitter talking to the manager and the hitting coach in the dugout, um, you know, the players talking on the field. And on the other side, you have H&R Blocks commercial. You know, like that would be an easy way to do it. So I think that's probably coming because we've seen that in – I think the NFL did that this year. Um, basketball does it maybe from time to time. Seen it on the PGA. So that's probably coming. Uh, and that's fine right. for people like me and you who love baseball and are baseball nerds. Like I would love to watch Kenley, Gan- Kenley Jansen warm up. Like just put the camera behind him in the regular spot where the camera goes and let me watch him throw eight warm-up pitches because I would love to see like his process of how he goes through getting loose, how he goes through preparing um, to face major league hitters. That would be fascinating to me. I think to, so the, general, exactly. but to the general audience, do they care? Like, and I, this, I'm playing devil's advocate here. I don't even necessarily believe what I'm arguing. But if you're baseball, from baseball's perspective, you have X number of baseball fans like me and you who are going to watch the game regardless. Like, I don't have any problems with the way baseball is played right now. People talk about how slow it is and how boring it is and how nobody ever puts the ball in play and there's too many strikeouts and too many walks and blah, 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 blah. I love baseball. I love watching it. I think it's fantastic. I'm going to watch 115 Braves games this year regardless, and I'm probably going to watch 100 other not-Braves games on the MLB TV package just because that's what I enjoy doing. And, you know, when I come home from work, I like watching a baseball game. So they don't need to get me. Like, they don't need to do anything to get me to watch games because I'm going to do it anyway. Who they're trying to get is uh, the fringe the fringe person who might have three or four different options for things to watch on TV, trying to reel that person in to watch some baseball. So that person isn't going to be as interested in watching Kenley Jansen warm up. They would be more interested in seeing That's fair. actual action. So. I don't, like I said, I, this is devil's advocate. I don't necessarily even believe that, but I kind of like this specific rule we're talking about of a pitcher having to face three batters because it adds to the strategy on both sides. So right now. Well, here's, here's, here's another thing about that whole thing. Fans, fans want more than, what, what, what do fans want more than anything? It's access, right? Fans want access more than anything. Like, if I'm thinking about like the ultimate fan experience at a golf course, you know, at a PGA Tour event, it would be falling around, a, you know, a top PGA golf, top, falling around Justin Thomas and literally listening to what him and his caddy and his playing partners pull, talk about the entire time, right? I mean, like that would just be so cool to watch. Like, why is he picking this club? What factors is he taking into play? You know, all of this stuff. It would be so cool to see. Um, and in general, like, w- w- what makes – like, the uh, last year when we went to the Titans game, we were able to go down on the field um, pregame and just watch those players warm up. And that was awesome, right, because it was access. We got to see these guys in person, and we got to see them warming up, do, doing stuff that we've never seen before. Doing drills you know, with that, their position close, coaches right? and stuff like that, sure. Right, just being able to, to step into a different light and seeing how they prepare in just a different context, right? Like sports being broadcasted has become such a – it's just become so gray and boring on how it's the same thing every time. Hey, welcome to the broadcast. We've got the Yankees and Red Sox tonight for you. Starting pitchers, Chris Sale and Luis Severino and 
let's go down to the field for as you know as as we whoever sold out the first pitch now let's get the game started and it's like I could tell you the exact things are going to show in a baseball game right now or a football game or basketball game before they even happen you know I mean I they, they don't differ from the formula at all now fans want access so if you give fans more access showing things that they would see at the stadium or showing them things that they don't normally see I think they would be more entertained by this and regardless of that regardless of that fact because I can't prove that one thing I do know is I understand you don't want to bring in a pitcher just to face one hitter and then bring in another guy more strategy okay that's fine let's say let's say for instance okay it's World Series, all right. Pitchers must pitchers must pitchers must face at least three batters, okay. So there's man on first base. There's two outs. Ninth inning, tie ball game. Bottom of the ninth inning. So this team in the field, they go and remove the pitcher, okay. There's a man on first base. They bring in a guy, okay. They bring in the guy. With two outs, he's going to get the last out of the inning. He walks the first guy. Four straight pitches, okay? Ooh, you know, like this guy may not be able to throw strikes right now. It may be advantageous for us to take him out of the game, okay? Next guy walks him on four straight pitches. He's walked two straight guys now on eight pitches, you know, and if he walks this next guy, the World Series is going to be over, and the manager can't do anything about it because of this rule. Next guy those four straight balls, walks him, they, the team wins the World Series. That's an extreme scenario. But what I'm saying is there's a lot of factors that come, come into play in pitching changes. And, yes, it's hit this hitter versus this pitcher um, you know, is, is one factor. But there's a lot of other things that lend to that decision. And not being able to do it for three batters seems seems like it could put you in a situation in a in a put you in a situation if you're a manager or if you're a team that could get a little sketchy. So that's a fantastic example of a, of a time when you absolutely need to be able to take a picture, take out a pitcher in less than three batters. I've got two counters to that. First counter is after the guy walks the first four batters or first four, the first pitcher on the good grief. I can't talk after the guy works, walks the first batter on four pitches you have a sign between the manager and the catcher. This is only partly tongue-in-cheek of the guy to, to grab grab his hamstring, stagger around for a minute, <laughs> and you come out with an injury. I mean, it's against the spirit of the rule, but if you're in the World Series, like you, you can take him out if he's injured. He needs to be injured, you know? And I'm sure that there would be, you know, there might be a fine involved with that or he might have to go on the, on the injured list or whatever. And that's fine. If it's the World Series, like, you got to do what you got to do. My second and even, like, I'm serious about that. Like, that would be what teams would do to get out of that situation is you fake an injury. Um, more realistic and more in the spirit of the, the conversation we're having, I think these are regular season rules, right? So there's no reason you can't tweak rules as the playoffs start. Because these are rules that don't fundamentally affect the way you play baseball, right? They affect the way baseball is managed, the way rosters are constructed, constructed, the way managers put their pieces on the chessboard to play, but they don't change the actual game. So there's no reason you couldn't 
tweak those guidelines in the games, in the you know the sports most important games. I don't think if this rule were to go through, which by the way this is like the fourth most interesting rule I think of the rules we have written down, <laughs> and we're talking about it. But I think this is great because I love your perspective on it as someone who's actually this would affect you know potentially as part of your job. I think that it would. There's no reason you can't change that when you get into the playoffs, like because in the playoffs in the World Series the only people that are complaining about the games taking too long in the World Series are writers who are trying to meet a deadline and want to go home. They don't feel like working. They're trying to get off work earlier. People who are watching the World Series and watching playoff games, the more pitching changes there are, the more mound visits there are, the more base runners there are, the more interesting the game is. I mean, that just the drama goes up and up and up every single time. So I don't think this rule should have any place in, in, you know, in a playoff game. We're... It helps me as a fan is, you know, on August 15th in the seventh inning of like a five-run game when a manager tries to bring in a lefty to face one guy, he throws two pitches, takes him out, brings in another guy in a five-run game, you know, in a meaningless game. Like, why are we – that's the game that this rule is trying to shorten. And I think when you get into the playoffs, when you get into the postseason, you just do away with it. You say you put it back at, you know, six mound visits or – you know, whatever, you've got eight pitchers on your roster and you can use them however you see fit. So, you know, <laughs> I, I really want to talk about some of these other rules too, but that, that would be my, okay. that would be my devil's advocate to that. I think that's it's a fair. Point, yeah. I, I see, I see about, I see that from a fan's perspective. Um, no, I mean, I, I think that makes sense. Um, okay. So yeah. What, what other rules would you more, would you like to talk about? So I'll kind of, I'll kind of go in least interesting, the most interesting, the, to me, the the mound visits thing is fine. Like, sure, I'm, I'm with you. A mound visit 90% of the time is just to let the pitcher kind of clear his head, take a break. And there's no reason a pitcher can't do that without a mound visit. You know, you can take a walk around the mound, play with the rosin bag, retie your shoes, whatever you need to do. Um, and I think you, you put that in place, which, by the way, I don't know if we said, this is in the Atlantic League, which is an independent league, but it's still a really high league of professional baseball. So... This is going to be. Yeah, it's a really good baseball yeah, league. Yeah, I mean, it, it's really, it really is. I've heard it's compared to like maybe AAA, you know, maybe even in between AAA and the majors. Like, there's a lot of former major leaguers and future major leaguers playing in the Atlantic League. So, yeah. it's a good place yeah. to implement this stuff and see how it affects high level baseball. And I think with the with the mound visit rule, you throw that into the Atlantic League and you see how pitchers react. You see how hitters react. You know, that's kind of the idea with all these rules. But with that one, you just kind of see how it goes. You see how how everybody takes to it and see how much it actually changes the game. Cause I don't think that one would change the game very much. The, the robot umpire, my first, my first reaction as someone who hasn't played the game in you know, six or seven years at this point is sure. If you have the technology to get every call, right, you should do that. I mean, kind of wading back into the premier league talk, I'll, there was four or five premier league games this week that had, calls absolutely blown by referees and they don't have replay in the premier league which is ridiculous and there was like four or five goals that were either allowed or disallowed based on a bad call by a referee when the technology is there i mean the people the the broadcasters in the booth the fans watching on tv know within 30 seconds that that call was missed and they can't do anything about it so from that perspective absolutely put the technology in place get the call right but I hear what you're saying about actually 
actually having an umpire back there. And there would still be an umpire back there because there's plays at the plate, there's foul tip calls, there are things that you need an actual person to decide on. But I would love to watch a game with robot umpires because I would love to see what it looks like. I mean, intellectually, I think that you should do that. You should get 100% of the ball strike calls right because there's nothing more frustrating as a fan, and I'm sure it's even, you know, you know playing at the low level I played at, I'm sure even more playing at the level you play at, and in the major leagues, even higher, that, like, there's nothing more frustrating than as a pitcher throwing a strike to strike a guy out and not getting the call. Or as a hitter, taking a ball you know is four or five inches off the outside corner and getting rung up on strike three. There's nothing worse than that as a player. There's nothing worse than that as a fan watching that, watching a team you're rooting for, you know, get jobbed in that way by an official, by an umpire who, who just gets a call wrong. But I would love to see what it looks like in practice because I think that that's a slippery slope and it could go to a place where maybe it would go too far and the game it would affect the game in a negative way. Um, so I, I would yeah. really be interested I, to see what that looks like in a high level baseball game. I totally understand where you're coming from, and I think that everything you said makes sense. I just, from my standpoint of playing the game, um, you know it. To, to use another golf analogy, sometimes in golf you hit it into the woods and or sometimes you hit a tree and it kicks right back into the woods. Sometimes it kicks back into the fairway. And that's sort of how pitching is, right? Sometimes you throw a strike and the umpire calls it a ball. Sometimes you throw a ball and the umpire calls it a strike. Um, you know, it, it, it seems to sort of um, even out. Um, you know, at least in my experience, I've gotten a lot of balls called strikes, a lot of strikes called balls, but you know, to your point, unfortunately I've had some pitches that I thought were strikes called balls in unfortunate situations. And, um, for the hitter standpoint, vice versa, like that's just, that, that happens. Umpires are human. And, um, you know, I, I personally think that it's just, it's, it's the way things have always been. I know I sound like so old man's saying <laughs> that, but it's how I'm used to it and thinking about changing to something different, um, you know, just doesn't, you know, appeal to me that much as a player. Um, but I, I definitely see why fans and, and you know, maybe other players would, would like to do that. Um, okay, let's, let's talk. <clears throat> let's talk about moving the mound That's back. the most interesting um, one to me. I think that's the one that, that most impacts the way the game's played. I w- when I read this list the first time through, I, I like. I don't like we kind of we shift we we shifted over we skipped over the shift one, which I think is <laughs> dumb. Like I don't let, let let teams play defense how they want to, but whatever. I think that's stupid. I don't think that'll ever get implemented in the majors because I, I, that that rule that rule doesn't make any sense. But moving the mound back, that's the one I was shocked to see because I understand that they want strikeouts to go down, right? They want more contact. They want more balls in play. So intuitively, you think, okay, well, make make the pitcher have to throw it from farther away. Velocity will go down. Contact will go up. But that one fundamentally changes the way we play the game, the way we watch the game. I don't, I don't know how I feel about it, but I really am curious to hear what you, as a pitcher, like this will fundamentally affect what you do for a living. What do you think about that? How does that, you know, give me the mindset of what, how you would approach a game with a mound that's in a different spot. Sure. Yeah, I agree with you. When I when I saw this rule in this list here, I would, all the other ones I was like, okay, okay, I could see that coming. 
this I didn't see this coming from anywhere. I mean, I was like, what in the world? Um, you know, as as a pitcher, right, especially as a pitcher like I am, where I use more location, um, mixing speeds, keeping the hitter off balance, um, you know, a better way to say, you know, a lesser velocity than a lot of guys and, and um you know, you know, a lot of my teammates, um, you know, I, I, I understand why you would do this because strikeout numbers are up. Pitchers are throwing harder than they ever have. Um, you know, and so they're, they're trying to, to sort of change, um, change the game. So to sort of average out the evolution of the athlete. So for instance, um, Gosh, I've been using a lot of golf analogies. But back in 97, Tiger Woods won the Masters. Um, he, he set the course record over four rounds for, you know, lowest score. Um, and he, he won by like 11 or 12 strokes. I mean, he like crushed the field. And it's because he was having wedge in the, all these par fives. Like these, these this course was set up, you know, for it to be a tough test where – Got these guys would have long irons into these holes if they wanted to, you know, try to hit into them. But Tiger had, you know, wedge into almost every hole because he pretty much broke the game, right? He was hitting it further than anybody. And now everybody that comes out of the bullpen is still 98, 99, 100 miles an hour. It's a beautiful thing because guys have been working so hard and putting so much time and effort on getting better because, I mean, it takes a lot more velocity and stuff to succeed now than it did 20 years ago to be honest you know so guys have been working their butts off to you know be able to provide that level of athleticism and stuff that it takes to make it you know in professional baseball um and so to say that you're going to move um you know mound back two feet um it doesn't sound like that much when you think about moving it from 60 to 62 feet, but it would be a huge difference, not only with the pitcher, but with the hitter too. So obviously it would make velocity less harder to hit. I mean, it, it would give the hitter more time to react, right? It would probably make 98 look like 92, I would guess, you know? Um, that sounds crazy, but it's true. You know, it, it, it would definitely lessen velocity. On the other hand, it would make 89 look like 82. Four, you know, I mean, it, it's so it would also, you know, if we're going to dive deep into the analytics, analytics here, it would help uh, low spin rate because it would give the ball more time to drop um, because of less spin on a ball. You're, you're stepping um, all over it, my follow up question here, by the way. <laughs> Good. <laughs> that means I'm moving in the right direction. Um, less spin on the ball means that gravity is going to affect the ball more and it's going to sink. So sinkers throw the ball with less spin on it. And so it would help a sinker ball pitcher basically is what I'm saying because their ball would move more. It would hurt a guy that has a higher spin rate because higher spin rate means it's going to stay on plane longer. The only problem is the ball loses velocity throughout the duration of the pitch. And so the more on the latter portion of the pitch, the last five, six, seven feet of the pitch, it's going to drop more there because the velocity is maybe maybe eight or nine miles an hour less than it was when it was released from the hand. So it's guys that have high spin rate and thus the spin resists gravity more than a low spin rate. It's going to hurt those guys. And because with that along with a lesser velocity from moving the mound back two feet, 
Um, it's going to hurt guys that try to pitch up in the zone. It's going to hurt guys that try to blow the doors off people. Um, and I'm just pitching from, I'm just talking from a pitcher's point of view, but as a hitter, I mean, it's a big adjustment to get used to you. I mean, you, since you were, I don't know, what, 12 when you went to middle school, you've been hitting off guys, 60 feet, six inches. I mean, the timing on that would be weird, man. Um, I mean, I think that. I don't know. I, I think I, these guys are so athletic that it, it really wouldn't, um, you know, take a big jump for those guys to, um, you know, get used to it. Wofford won, by the way, so we just, don't have to worry about them taking that. Belmont's they, spot. They pulled away. Um, um, <coughs> let, me, let me jump in here because I've got I've – got, this is interesting to me because it doesn't – as a league, so the league sees a, pro, a perceived problem, right? Their problem that they see – is too many strikeouts. So, you know, just giving everyone the benefit of the doubt, saying that everyone has the the best interest of the game at heart, they think that it is in the best interest of the game to reduce strikeouts. Now, we can argue about that. That's a different podcast. So then the next question is... When you say they, when you I'm say they... I'm talking about Rob Manfred. It's, I'm talking about Rob right, Manfred. It's not the, com- the players. The commissioner of Major League Baseball thinks that there's too many it's strikeouts. not the players. Now, I would love to have a conversation about Rob Manfred at some point. I understand that he's technically your boss, so I won't make you talk about him. Um, but that's what he thinks. So that's why he's doing this, because he wants to reduce strikeouts. Now, the question is is this an effective means of reducing strikeouts? And I think that's a really interesting question because I don't think it's cut and dry at all. You back the mound up, velocity is going to go down, like period, end of sentence. That's 100% fact. That's going to happen. Now, how much it's going to go down, I, I don't, you know, I tried to pull up a velocity calculator while you were talking and I got confused. I can't figure it out. It's going to be, the ball is going to look slower to a hitter coming in. But like you talked about, the longer distance the ball moves, the more time it has for lateral and vertical movement. So the ball is going to be moving a lot more up and down and side to side. As a hitter, I would almost rather see the high velocity if it's straighter. Do you know you understand what I'm saying? So yeah. my point is, I don't know that this is a cut and dry way to reduce strikeouts. What it is, is it's, you're trying to fix your problem by hitting it in the head with a hammer. You know what I'm saying? Like, you've got a small, like like a creaky floorboard or something, and instead of actually figuring out a way to fix it, you're just beating it with a hammer until it doesn't creak anymore. And I don't think sure. that's the idea. Like, I think there are other ways. If you think strikeouts are a problem, which I don't know if you can tell by my, by my tone of voice, I don't think that's a problem. If you do think that's a problem, this isn't the way to fix it. Like there are other ways you can incentivize pitchers pitching to contact and hitters trying to reduce their strikeout rates. There are other ways you can do that other than fundamentally changing the way the game has been played. And I don't think that doing something the same way you've always done it is a good reason to continue doing it that way. But in this scenario, it's it's fundamentally changing. I keep saying that, but I mean, what do we know about baseball? You throw the pitch from 60 feet, 6 inches away. Like that's, that's how you grow up playing. That's how you learn to play. Changing that number not only changes the way the game's played, it very 
Like there's a very real possibility, and I think it's more than a possibility. I think it's an absolution. This will happen. It changes the group of people that get to the highest level of the sport. Like you're taking, you're incentivizing completely different skill sets because the person that can get a batter out from 62 feet away is different than a person that can get a batter out from 60 feet away. And I don't know which way that goes. I don't know if it's people that can still throw 98 from 62 feet away. I don't know if it's pitchers who have better control from a farther distance. I don't know. So in one sense, it'd be interesting to see how it looks, you know, in a high-level league. But in a more real sense, I don't need that. Like, I don't need that in my baseball. Like, I we have for 150 years selected pitchers based on their ability to get people out from this distance. Changing that distance is changing who you allow into the game. And we don't know how it changes it. We don't know who it benefits. We don't even really know if it benefits the pitcher. It might not, you know. Or it might come out in the wash, but the way pitchers get hitters out changes to, and I guess that's what baseball wants is they want the, you know, they want, they don't want batting averages to go up necessarily. They just want people to make more contact. So maybe it works out for the best in that sense. But I just don't like, I don't like this blunt tactic of instead of subtly trying to change things to get the result that you want, you, you change the rules of the game. I don't, I don't like that. I'm okay with the mound visits and I'm okay. I, I don't like banning the shift, but even that is like, okay, fine, whatever. But this, fun, I keep saying this fundamentally changes the way you play the game, but it does, and I don't like it. Move the mound two feet closer. <laughs> um, all right, listen, here's, here's sort of my rebuttal on this. Um, basically, hitters are striking out more than ever, right? It, it's, it, it's in large part to do how good – with how good pitchers are. Right. Especially with how good relief pitchers but are. But there's another... Um, how electric the ele- electric relief pitchers are. But there's another sort of factor that comes into play here, and that's that hitters have realized that grounding out to shortstop and striking out are the same outcome, right? It's still out one. It's still... You know, it, when Mookie comes up to, to lead off the season, um, you know, if, if he strikes out, if he hits a fly ball to center field, it's the same outcome, right? They're going to have one out in the, in the first inning. Um, and so what hitters have also realized is that having extra base hits, doubles, triples, home runs, provides more value than singles, right? Every that's, single that's time. Why, every time and every scenario. That's, that's why some guy that hits 50 home runs is going to be valued higher than somebody who hits 300 with, you know, four home runs. You know, I mean, it's just that's how it is. You're going to be more valuable and you're going to add better value to your team and more chances to score whenever you are having hitting extra base hits. So um, basically what hitters are trying to do is say, OK, we'll strike out because it is the same result if we strike out or we ground out, but we will also try to hit for more power. It's sort of like a trade-off, right? Like you have to trade something. All right, we're not going to try to make just make contact with the ball. We're not going to try to choke up and you know, you know, shoot it through the gap between first and second. There are there's times to do that, right? There's times to move runners, stuff like that. But in theory, we're going to try to do damage. You know, right. we're going to try to hit the ball hard. We're going to try to add more value to our team 
so they're swinging harder, right? So basically base, what baseball is saying is we think fans would enjoy it more if more runs were scored, right? Because right now, if you move the mound back and you give hitters a better opportunity to catch up to these fastball, more runs are going to be scored. And I would equate it to this. Let's say that the NBA just gets to a point where they're like, that most value we can get out of possession is a three-point play because that's one and a half times the amount of points we would get for shooting a jumper or even a layup. And these guys can shoot three-pointers better now, so we're just going to start jacking up threes. Every possession, we're just going to start jacking up threes because we know that this is going to be a better outcome over a period of time, right? But there's more shots being missed, right? Because you're shooting from a further distance. Shooting a lower percentage. You're going to miss more shots. So the NBA is saying, man, these guys are missing a lot of shots. What we need to do is make the cylinder bigger so they'll make more shots, right? Like That's essentially what's going on here. They're like, these guys are swinging and missing more because they're trying to hit the ball further and they're swinging harder, so let's make it easier for them to hit. Like, that's basically what is going on in this scenario here. I don't mean like you wouldn't. I don't mean to cut you off, but that is a fantastic analogy. Like that is because it's not that Major League Baseball wants more runs to be scored. There's more runs being scored now than you know there have than there was five years ago than there was ten years ago. Baseball wants more contact, right? So they don't care about runs because it's just like in the NBA. That's not a hypothetical. That's happening. The NBA is shooting more threes, right? That's what because it's worth more points. You do the things worth right. more points. Try to hit home runs. It's worth more points than singles. Like that's baseball. And it would be just like if the NBA was like, well, we don't like all these shots being missed, so let's make the rim bigger. Uh, and I've never thought about it that way, but that's ex- that's an exact analogy for what's happening. And how ridiculous would it be if in an effort to save, quote unquote, the NBA, Adam Silver doubled the size of the rim. It would be stupid. It would be insane, and that's what we're talking about doing in baseball. All right. So, yeah, that's just my two cents. That's just your two cents. Um, and I don't know. There you go. So um, anything else on baseball? I think we we uh, we beat it pretty good. No, I think we um, analyzed the crap out of that, and there are people that listen to this podcast that don't like baseball, and I think – that they'll still get something out of that because I think that's an interesting conversation. I think it is not a baseball conversation. It's a sports conversation, and if you liked it, let us know. If you didn't like it, I guess let us know, but, I mean, we're not really going to change what we talk about, but still, I mean, we'll, 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 listen. <laughs> we'll respond to your tweets. We'll laugh, we'll, laugh at, we'll, laugh, we'll laugh at you for not I'll liking I'll send you hilarious gifts there. over Twitter. Um, all right, so, listen, we're running a little bit long here we're, per use. We're deep into this. Um, so, so real quick, t- today the Titans signed Adam Humphreys and re-signed Caro. Do we care? No, I don't. Not really. Don't um, I mean, if we're looking for else things, add? if we're looking at things to cut from the pod, any Titans information can be cut without asking my permission. Like, just I don't want to talk about it. This is not a Titans podcast. It's certainly, is not a Titans pod. I mean, if you want to talk about the Titans, I'll fake it, but. I mean, I don't really want to. No, let, let's let's <laughs> save that for another date. Um, okay, man, I've been I've been ranting a lot lately. So there, I had this. There is a bullet point in our notes that just says Austin's rant. So 
Um, <laughs> I don't know what this is. People, people of Earth, I don't know what he's about to say. I'm going to sit back in my chair. You can hear my chair creak. And just go for it. Go for it. What do you got? All right. So I, I didn't write anything down on this because I wanted to try to come out as organically as <laughs> Off possible. The dome. Um, I made I made sound incredibly unintelligent here, and if so, that's fine. Um, I may you know get totally um, jammed up with words, but but here it goes. So I was sitting the other day just thinking. Right. Sometimes you do that. You just sit and think. Um, and basically what I was thinking about is cell phones, okay? <laughs> cell phones are incredible. My iPhone is able to do so many things. It's able to take pictures, it's able to take videos. I'm able to call my wife and talk to her face-to-face, um, even though we're, you know, a thousand miles away. That's, like, really awesome. You know, we can do this podcast over the phone if we wanted to. I can connect with all my other friends through social media. I can see the news. I can listen to music. I can listen to podcasts. I mean, we all know what phones do. They're incredible. But I am convinced that phones are ruining our lives. I, I am certain of this. I am this is an abs- this is an absolute fact. So take for example, let's say you tomorrow go to fly to Boston. All right, you're flying from Nashville to Boston. You are going to get into your car, turn your phone on and listen to music, okay? Or the, the average person, right? Or listen to a podcast or something. You're going to go to the airport, you're going to park. You're going to put in headphones, you're going to listen to something else, you're going to walk to the gate, you're going to walk to security, pull out your phone, which has your ticket on it, you're going to show them, go to security, put your headphones back in, get to the gate, pull out your phone, scroll through Twitter, scroll through Instagram, look at whatever, look at articles, look at you know news, look at you know sites that you like to visit on the internet. Um, look at all this stuff. Okay, your flight's going to board. You get on the plane. You do your last-minute checking. Plane takes off. Oh, there's TV on the plane, right? So you pull out your phone. You watch TV through the Wi-Fi on the plane. You get to your destination. You turn, turn your service back on. You're going to look through, see what else has happened. Scroll through Twitter, you know, scroll through Instagram. What else has happened since I took off and landed? You're going to put music in as you get off. You're going to walk, and then you're going to get into an Uber and probably still listen to music or a podcast to get to your hotel. Basically, you've spent this entire journey just being entertained, right? You, you have not talked to anybody that, you know, you unless you at the, secu- the security line or the person next to you, you're letting them into a seat or whatnot. You have not been able to adequately digest anything that's happened because you've simply been going from one thing to the next. All you've been doing is looking at a post, looking at a video, looking at a picture, looking at a tweet, looking at an article and saying to yourself, okay, I like this or I don't like it in a matter of five seconds and going on from one thing to the next. And in today's time, when things are so bad, such as, you know, like bullying on social media and through text and stuff where you're not face to face with somebody, plus people that obviously wrap so much of their self-worth up into, you know, what people like on their social media pages or, you know, respond to their polls or whatnot. Um, you know, you're not adequately, adequately digesting what's happening in real life because you're either doing something or you're on your phone. 
Um, I think there's something to be said about, you know, unplugging and just taking the time to think about what's going on in your life, thinking about, you know, your day, digesting things. And I'm saying this because I'm so bad about this as well. And it's something that I've really, you know, recently been like, man, you know, this isn't good for me. Like, technology is only going to get better. 10 years from now, you know, it's going to be crazy. Think about 10 years ago, the first iPhone came out or like 12 years ago, the first iPhone came out. And that's crazy to think we're going on in 12 years. And in 10 years, it's going to be even more ridiculous. So basically, you know, I, I think we're at a time where things can either go one or two ways, you know, as a culture. And, you know, basically if, if we want to get to where we want to go individually, um, you know, and as, you know, the human race, um, we just got to be careful not to take like the easy path of entertainment a lot of times. So that's all I had to say. If you don't agree with me, that's fine. I just need to say This that. is not an agree or disagree issue. This is a, that's a, the tagline for this podcast is Austin saves society. That's what we're putting it up as <laughs> because that was fantastic. I loved every minute of it. And we can't really dive deep into it because we're already at an hour and a half. Um, but I agree with a lot of what you said. I think just my quick take hot take on it is that the only people that you can control in the world are yourself. So I've often felt the same way as you of, you know, feel like the, I spend my whole day with my nose in my phone. Everyone, every person listening to this right now is listening to it on their phone. Please don't throw your phone out the window of your car when you're driving till this podcast is over. <laughs> but there's something to be said for it. I, I appreciate you hitting the world with some knowledge. Listen to this man. He's wise. Live your life, people. That being said, I will not. I never have. I never will make small talk with someone on a plane because the person sitting next to me does not want to talk to me and I do not want to talk to them. I will put my headphones in even no, if I'm not listening you guys just want to look at your phone. I don't want to look at my phone. I'm going to put my headphones in and pretend like I'm listening to something because I don't want to talk to this person for three and a half hours. I don't know that person and I'm never going to see him again. So that's beside the point. Fair. But I, Fair. I appreciate your rant. Um, it has its merits. It's also hilarious and the most old man thing I've ever heard. But... <laughs> hey you're not wrong i'll say that you're not wrong can we move on to the real topic of this podcast before we get out of here the conspiracy closet we is it open next week is the conspiracy closet next open? week on the informal podcast we will have sound for the conspiracy closet i'm putting that out into the universe <laughs> like either i or austin knows how to do that we don't but we're gonna figure it out or we're not but there's gonna be some kind of drop for the conspiracy closet this week what are we talking about, my friend Austin? All right. Insert conspiracy closet drop now. <laughs> okay. All right. That's where it's going to be. Okay. Right, right there. Right um, there. I don't know if it's actually right there, there on this podcast or not, but it will be eventually. Uh, breaking news. It's not going to be there for this <laughs> podcast. So we were discussing ideas, um, you know, to talk about on this, con on this conspiracy closet, this, ed this edition of the conspiracy closet. And, Second Same annual an interesting one, which we closet. will <laughs> second annual, um, second biannual conspiracy closet. Um, Same throughout one that I, I thought was really good, which we will definitely get to as we as we roll through this. But basically, this is something that I've wanted to discuss for a long time because I know in my heart that this conspiracy is real, which I know that I may have some doubters. 
I may have some people that call me crazy. I may have some people that say, Austin, the facts just don't align with what you're saying. But I'm going to tell you that you're wrong. I'm going to tell you that your facts are wrong. Yeah, that's right. Your facts are wrong. Is the Yeti real? Okay, that's what we're going to be talking about today. Is the abominable snowman a factual human living thing? That, I it's guess not a human. Thing. It's not a human, first of all. Now, you brought this up to me, and I loved it because it's going to be shocking to people that can hear my voice, but I know a lot about the Yeti, okay? I know a lot. I'm In some <laughs> circles, I'm known as a Yeti expert. I once spent 52 and a half minutes of my life listening to a podcast about the Yeti. I now know everything there is to know about the Yeti. <laughs> Since this is your thing, I'll let you kick it off. You explain why you believe in your heart that the Yeti is real, and I will hit you <laughs> with facts as to why you're wrong. All right, fair enough. So, fair enough, fair enough. So, basically, the, the, the first piece of evidence I have for the Yeti being real is that I know in my heart that the Yeti <laughs> is real. Like that's belief is the first is the first necessity of proof. Okay. Hold on. I am wait, not biased wait, in this. Wait, what did you say? <laughs> I am <laughs> I am not biased in this at all. This is just the facts, okay? So there have been multiple, multiple supposed Yeti samples <laughs> that, that have been collected from the areas of Nepal and areas of Tibet and the Himalayas. Okay, Sam, the Himalayas are over 12,000 miles or 120,000 miles long. That is a lot of miles, lot, okay? Not 120,000 so miles long. It's longer than the planet. <laughs> That's not accurate. The, okay. <laughs> the Himalayas. <laughs> All right. I'm sorry. They're 1,500 miles long. <laughs> I may I may have gotten wrapped up a little bit into this. Um, okay, they're 1,500 miles long, which is a really long ways. That's basically from Miami to Nevada. That's the length of 1,500 miles. Okay. All right. All right. That's fine. Keep rolling. So basically, the Himalayas is where the Yeti lives. Okay? Everybody knows that. That's its home territory. The Yeti lives in the more secluded portions of the Himalayas, areas that humans just don't visit very much. Humans have been there. And they've tried to find the Yeti before, and they have found a lot of facts that may lead to the Yeti being real. So they found hair, they found teeth, they found fur, they found fur, they found feces, and there are also sightings from people that have seen the Yeti actually out in the wild. Now, let me let me ask you this, okay? If you let's 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 say I went to the grocery store right now, okay? You following me? I'm with you. Okay. I'm really curious to see I where to the, this goes because this has been <laughs> riveting to this point. This is the best podcast we've ever done. <laughs> okay, let's say I went to the grocery store and 
I am looking at the fish, all right? I'm looking at the fish at the counter, and I order the salmon, and I check out, all right? And then I call you and I say, hey, Sam, I ordered the salmon, and I checked out at the grocery store. Is that a fact? From whose perspective? Is, is, would you say, yeah, it, it, did that happen? Okay. Did it happen? Yes. As your friend, I would believe that you weren't lying to me about buying salmon. <laughs> right? Because why would you lie about that? It would be a weird thing to lie about. It doesn't make sense. It would be a weird thing to lie about that. So these people that have been to Nepal and Tibet have said, I have laid eyes on the Yeti. Why would you lie about that? That is a very factual thing to say. They said it. I believe them. End of story. There are things that the Yeti does and where he is that you just cannot get to as a normal person. I don't know. I'm just saying there's a lot of things that show that the Yeti is not just a myth. In fact, he's a real living living creature. Now, I don't know if there's multiple. I don't know if there's a Yeti family. Listen, I'm not a Yeti expert, but what I do know is that he is actually in existence in the Himalayas currently right now. Okay. Now, as I said before, I once listened to a 15-2-minute long podcast about the Yeti. So let me hit you with the knowledge that I heard on my Yeti podcast. Did you know that the Yeti has its origins in the Sherpa people who live in the Himalayas? It is a story that is based in Sherpa folklore all right we know about folk folklore around here right they're fairy tales that you that you tell your kids to teach them a greater moral lesson right now does that mean that it's not true not necessarily right i think a lot of these things probably have some basis in fact so the yeti story according to the podcast i listened to who made it up probably but you know it is what it is yeah according to a random podcast which, okay. why would they lie carry why on would they lie back to your point got no reason to lie there, the, the podcast story was that the Sherpa people used to tell a story about the Yetis. The Yetis was a whole group of Yetis. I think there was like 240 Yetis, which is a very specific School number. Of very Yetis. specific number. I don't know why not 250. Seems like you would, you know, round that off. 240 Yetis. So <laughs> the Yetis were eating all the Sherpa people's cows and goats and whatever else the Sherpa people had. The Yetis were eating them, causing all kinds of trouble. Hijinks, some would say. Real mischief creators, these Yetis. So the Sherpas oh, yeah. are like, well, we got to do something about the Yetis. They're way bigger than us. We can't just go out there and kill them. We got to do something about the Yetis. So Papa Sherpa says, here's what we're going to do. We're going to invite all the Yetis to a big party. We're going to have the Yetis over. It's going to be a spread. We're going to cut up all the goats and the cows and cook them up, and it's going to be delicious, and we're going to have wine and and whiskey and whatever else the Sherpa people drink. I don't know. They're going to – all 240 Yetis are here at a big, long wooden table. The wooden table is 150 million miles long. All the Yetis are sitting at it eating their Sherpa meal, right? All the Yetis get hammered drunk. The Sherpa, Sherpa people come in kill all the yetis while they're drunk. That's the story. The ringer is that one yeti escaped. They killed 239 yetis, one yeti still running around in the Himalayas causing hijinks and mischief. That's your backstory. I want your response to the Sherpa people yeti story. 
<laughs> Which well, you're getting third like hand. A, a, it sounds like a it sounds like a, a folk tale. It's 100% you know, a folk tale. If, it is a folk if, tale. If I didn't know it was true. You, you know how stuff happens a lot of times in sports. And uh, if, you know, the announcer says, hey, if we if we put this in a movie, you wouldn't believe Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Yeah. That, that's exactly what this sounds like. You know, it, it's so crazy that it has to be real. Okay. Um, I, I'm going to bring this back a little bit. Okay. Right. I've, I've, I've found this article. Okay. Where in 2011, a Russian-led expedition and conference claimed to have irrefutable evidence of the Yeti's existence. Yes. Wait, here's the kicker. Including a bed. Okay? A conference announced, this is is quoted from um, the report that this conference put out, that a conference announced that a recent... That has announced that a given recent evidence, they are 95% convinced the Yeti exists in the cold winds of Siberia, okay? This is in Russia. So scientists and cryptozoologists, which are those who have a fascination um, for a hidden species. So Bigfoot's also rounded into this. Seems unfair to bring him into this, but okay, whatever. Um, They met in the... Kamerovo region of Russia to exchange information on the Yeti. During an expedition to the Azaskuyu cave, conference members collected irrefutable evidence of the habitation of the snowman in the Shoria Mountains. They found his footprints, his supposed bed, and various markers which with the Yeti marks his territory. I don't know what kind of markers they found, but I would not have touched those <laughs> markers, okay? They also found several hairs and said that they may belong to the Yeti. Yeah, that, that may be circumstantial, but, you know, the rest is fact. Yeti hairs collected in the Himalayas recently turned out to be those of a goral, which I'm, I'm not sure. Not what a Yeti is, but, is what it is. It's not a um, Yeti. Which, which, yeah, which it's why they may not belong. They may not belong. But the members, however, did not come away with photographs, video, um, or most importantly, actual Yeti, um, of course, because they had to get out of there, right? Because what the Yeti came back and we were there, <laughs> I mean, the Yeti killed 239 Yetis, so, I mean. There's only one Yeti left alive, but okay. Right. So, I mean, that, when I think about evidence that's irrefutable, that's about as irrefutable as it can get. Let me. I believe these let people. Let me blow your mind. Okay, so I... This you telling me about this Russian expedition in 2011 to find the Yeti is the second time I've heard about this Russian expedition to find the Yeti. The first time I heard about it was on my 52 and a half minute long podcast that I listened to about the Yeti. <laughs> Their take on this, which is very just for, let's get it out there. This is the stuff you should know podcast with Josh and Chuck. They are intellectuals. They do this for a living. The Yeti expedition by Russia in 2011. Do you know who commissioned the Yeti expedition? You've heard of him. You've heard of him. Vladimir Putin. Okay. Yeah, you know why he did it? Because he wanted people to go to Siberia and look for the Yeti. That's why he wanted to do it. You know what the bed was they found? Bunch of sticks on the ground. Bunch of sticks like eight inches off the path. And they're like, oh, yeah, that's the Yeti. So that's the Yeti's bed right there. You know what else they found? All the people that live in these Siberian villages who go on these Yeti Yeti tours. You can go to the Siberian villages. You can go on a Yeti tour. It's like $8,000. 
and you go on the Yeti tour and you spend a day in Siberia and you lose four toes to hypothermia and you don't see the Yeti it, ever. No one has ever seen the Yeti on one of these tours. You know why? Because it's all made up. It's a crock of garbage. Putin made it up to get people to go to Siberia and get hypothermia. It's made up. Okay. Let me ask you this. Let's let's say you're the Yeti. Okay? Yeah. Okay. Let's say yeah, you're the I can Yeti. do this. <laughs> and there is a bunch of people walking around looking for you. What are you going to do? Are you going to pop out and be like, hey, guys, you know, like, I hope you find your dad. You know, is that, are you going <laughs> to? I mean, is that what you're going to? I mean, if I'm the Yeti, I might come out and kill one of these stupid people that are coming out to look for me just to make people not want to do it anymore. I mean, if you're the Yeti, you probably don't have the highest level of itel- intelligence. So you're probably like, <laughs> no, you don't, 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 you don't know the Yeti doesn't have a high level of intelligence. It's true. I don't. I'm just saying, so, I, I might want to, want to kill a tourist if I was the Yeti. I might. It's on the table. So, um, yeah, I don't know. There seems to be a lot of people that don't want to believe in the Yeti, yep. which is why most of the stuff I've seen is said he doesn't. One half exist, of this okay? podcast doesn't want to believe in the Yeti. There was a, let me you know, in fact, let me let me hit you with another piece of knowledge. There was a there was a scientist, a real scientist whose name I can't remember. I've been frantically looking on the internet for him. I can't find him, but he's real. He worked at one of the London museums, a museum in London. Picture this. Picture this, Austin Coley, a London museum. Can you not get any more academic than that? He put out, put out a call to the to the masses. He said, "Everyone out there on planet Earth, if you have Yeti paraphernalia, send it to the London Museum. We want your Yeti paraphernalia. You know how many pieces of Yeti paraphernalia he got? Uh, let me guess. No, he got like seventy something. He got a bunch. All right." He got teeth. He got hair. He got jaw bones. He got feces. He got everything. He DNA tested all of it. You know what it all was? Bears. All of it was bears. Except for the stuff that was like dogs and people and creepy stuff that, you know, we probably don't want to talk about. But none of it was Yeti. None of it was Yeti. One thing was... Yeah, let me ask you this. Let me, let, me ask, let me ask you a real question about right. this. If you were somebody that had an actual piece of Yeti paraphernalia... Okay, you had an actual Yeti, you know, what would they send in? Hairs. Actual Yeti hair. Okay, let's say you had actual Yeti teeth. And this guy was like, hey, I want your Yeti teeth. Why would you send him your teeth? Those are your teeth, and you're the only person maybe in the world that has a piece of real Yeti paraphernalia. Why would you send that? Look, I'm not saying that this London Science Museum study is exhaustive. It might not be. You know, how would the Sherpa people in the Himalayas hear the call to action from London? I don't know. I'm not sure. I'm just saying it happened and none of it was Yeti stuff. This is not, look, we're not going to solve the Yeti mystery today. All the facts are on one side, and that's the side I'm on. And you're on the other side, and that's fine. And you can be. You have the right to be wrong in this scenario. And I think the the people of this podcast will tell us. All 13 of our listeners will chime in, and we will know. Put up a poll. We'll put up a poll if the Yeti's real or not. And I expect the over, overwhelming majority to say the Yeti is well, real. I mean, but I guess we're we'll You've never see. won a podcast poll before. I'm 1-0 in podcast polls. So you're due. If I never, you mean the one podcast one and that we've done. All right, so 
an hour forty five in. Do you have it? You have anything else left? No, I think this is the. Uh, I think we're an hour and forty five minute long podcast now. <laughs> Apparently, Apparently, and we still cut yeah, stuff every out. single I mean, week. Like, how, how does two that for happen? two. Cut you know what? If we get to talk about the Yeti and cell phones every week, I'm this good is with fine. It. We just did like half an hour on the Yeti and cell phones. Tell me it was bad. <laughs> Someone listen to this whole podcast and tell me it was bad. You can't do it. It was good. You know, your, your call about, at the beginning, if you want to listen to Yeti stuff to fast forward to an hour 50. <laughs> it was a complete pretty, pretty exaggeration good. that turned out to be accurate. That's fine. <laughs> um, all right, yeah, as always, check us out on Twitter at InformalUS. Um, hit us up on there about if the Yeti's real. Also, if you did actually throw your cell phone out the window, we would love to hear from you. It would be great. On there. Yeah. I hope you enjoyed Wait, the pod. I, have, I hope you enjoyed all of our talk. I've got one more thing um, before we about, go. One more thing. This right. is a bit of personal news. In our in our baseball keeper league, we have had defections. We need to fill one spot in a fantasy baseball keeper league. If you want in, let me know. Crowdsourcing. I'm the erstwhile general or the erstwhile commissioner of this fantasy league. It's struggling. We need people. If you want to come help us save a fantasy keeper league in baseball, let us know. There you go. All right. Um, thanks for listening as always. Um, we'll, we'll come to you again soon. That's for sure. Um, we won't take another six month hiatus, um, at least in a short time. So, um, like I said, as always, hit us up, vote on our poll, tell us if you get real. Um, until next time.